Mark, Mark was here on uh, week one when we first started Aberdeen North uh, back in the day. Uh, we drove a very dodgy van together for many months uh, and that almost died on us every Sunday that we were here, the first few months that we were here. And so Mark was here with the bricks and mortar uh, and then uh, him and his wife Julie uh, went out coming up for three years. Is it three years in September? Yes. Three years in yeah, September. The van gets kicked out yeah, August, so. <laughs> new van lease. Um, three years ago, uh, they headed out to do um, uh, Aberdeen West. Uh, so they're up in Bucksburn, um, just having a magical time up there, um, meeting the community. Mark is a great guy. Uh, he's going to bring a, a good word for us this morning. <laughs> Handsome, all, all of the above. Uh, but I'm just going to pray for him just before we start this morning. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for Mark. We thank you for your word. We thank you that. Uh, you have given us the privilege of being able to unpack your word and share that with one another and learn from one another. And so we just pray as Mark brings your word this morning um, that you would give us hearts that are ready to hear your message, Lord. You give us eyes that are ready to see what you're doing, ears that are ready to hear what you've got for us, Lord. I pray that you would um, give us a posture of pressing in this morning, Lord, that we wouldn't um, sit back uh, out, out of it, but that we would press in for everything you've got this morning, Lord. So yeah, just help us to press in as we hear from Mark now. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. It's good to be here with you this morning. Like I say, I'm from West. Um, you guys have a, a, a welcome pack. We're having a musical, and I'm going to call it West Sight Story. Huh? Huh? Thanks. Uh, we're getting Chris Hemsworth to play the, play the lead role of me. He can't sing, but he's kind of closest to, you know, whatever. Um, hmm, new, new Avengers, yeah. Um, as I was uh, preparing to, to kind of come here this morning, I was kind of like, Lord, I, I want to just pray for these guys, and I just really want to have a word for, for this site. And as I was praying, I just got this idea of worship, and um, worship just being like a really key stake in the ground for, for North. And funnily enough, as soon as like Scott started leading the team time this morning, he goes, guys, I just want to bring this word on worship. And I'm like, yes, come on, God, you're speaking, you're moving, and worship is going to play a key part in putting a flag in this community here. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, I'm just going to embarrass some people. If you're a worship leader here, can you just stand up? Come on, worship leaders, stand up. Brilliant, stay standing, stay standing. If you're part of the band, stand up. Okay, if you are in our kids' team, and you lead one of our kids' teams, stand up. Anyone else? Okay, brilliant. You guys are worship leaders, right? And I just want to pray over you because I think that God is, is wanting to move through worship in this site and really plant a flag in here and really break some stuff. Worship comes in, breaks barriers, breaks chains, and things start happening. And you guys are the front line. We're the second line, but you guys are the front line. So let me just pray over you just for a sec, if that's okay. Father God, we thank you so much that worship just unlocks all this stuff. And Lord, we, you know, it's, it's ironic that we cannot, you know, worship is us giving something to you, but yet we can't do that without you first giving to us and you first moving in our lives. But Lord, we want to put a stake in the ground today. And Lord, we want to say release something in our worship. Lord, I pray for new songs. Lord, I, I pray that these guys would sing new songs. Lord, that they would be birthed out of this place. And Lord, in our kids' ministry, Lord, lead them in worship and lead them in, in, in singing new songs and singing their own words. Lord, we want them to lead the way. They are the future. They are the present church. So Lord, we thank you for these guys. Bless them in Jesus' name. Brilliant. You guys can sit down. Thanks for bearing with me. The second thing I was asking God for, I was like, God, that's brilliant. You've given me this word for worship. That's really cool. Surely there's something more. 
And I honestly felt God, I've only really felt I've heard the audible voice of God twice in my life. And one was last night. And he was saying, Mark, I've just given you a sermon to preach to these guys. And I know it sounds really silly, but I honestly believe that God is saying, what has happened to, to end up in my paper here is for you guys today. And I know that that seems obvious because I'm here to preach to you, but God just reminded me last night. It's like, no, this word is for you guys. And so my prayer this morning is that I would just come to fruition, that God would speak and move in your lives today and in your hearts. So there we go. We'll see how we go. Brilliant. Therefore, to kick off, what is a successful life? What, is, what, is a, what does a successful life look to you? Maybe if you click the first slide up, maybe it's the beach life. Maybe this, is, maybe this is what an easy life or the successful life would look like. Or if you click the next one, maybe it's staying focused. Well, I'm trying to stay focused. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's going to uh, you know, new and exciting places and uh, having the freedom to be able to do that and to experience things. Or maybe, what's the next one? We've got family. Maybe having the perfect family where the kids don't annoy you and you never have to, <laughs> never have to shout at them and lose your rag. Next one, maybe it's the perfect job where, where you just get to rock up to coffee shops and, and, and kind of, there's no stress and there's no pressure and everyone does what they're meant to do on the days that you've said that they were going to do it. Uh, maybe there's health, uh, you know, having abundant health or maybe financially no worries or maybe, dare I say it, it's the perfect body. <laughs> it's just like looking in a mirror. Huh? You can click the next one, get rid of Chris. I don't want you distracted. <laughs> what is your idea of a successful Christian life? Is it no stress? Is it always feeling like you're whole on the inside with this wide and easy road and easy journey to, to go down? Maybe, maybe it's about having an amazing prayer life. Or you know how you can get the Bible in one year? Maybe it's, maybe it's when you read that in six months. Maybe that's what the Christian life looks like to you. Or maybe you've just memorized huge chunks of scripture. Maybe that's what it is. Every word that you pray over people is spot on. And it's never the dodgy pizza that you had for breakfast. For breakfast. Maybe everyone that you pray for gets healed. Is that your, is that your idea of what a successful Christian life looks like? Maybe it's always being comfortable after all. The Bible tells us, rejoice in the Lord always, always. Pray without ceasing, people. Pray all the time without ceasing. Don't be anxious about anything. Have you tried doing that? Do you know, those scriptures were all written by Paul, who is arguably like one of the, the kind of the great Christian examples that we should be looking at. So surely, we're not meant to have trouble in life. But then... We know, don't we, that life isn't quite like that. Life is not always comfortable. So how does our experience line up with Scripture? God, you know, doesn't promise us an easy life, but he does promise to be with us at all times. And in our passage today, we read about Paul being sorrowful in this horrible place of discomfort and even causing sorrow in other people. And we read about the Corinthian church having done wrong and brought themselves into a really bad place but then it tells us how they then responded. So what then is the reality of an authentic Christian life? Well, a Christ-shaped life 
is not being comfortable, but embracing a godly comfort zone. A place where there's maybe still conflict and where we're not made comfortable, but rather we are given comfort. And in that, in our weakness, God can bring us strength, which leads us to grow and have wisdom. Weak, but strong. It's almost like we planned that. So let's read the passage. If you need a Bible here today, there's Bibles at the end of the row. Does anyone need a Bible? Put up your hands, someone will pass one to you. We're all good, it's going to come up on the screen anyway. So let's go, let's read the word of God. Make room for us in your heart. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Sorry, I should have said, by the way, this is 2 Corinthians 7, verses 2 to 10. Sorry, I did 2 to 16, sorry. I have spoken to you with great frankness, and I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. And here's the key verse, but God, but God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort that you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow and your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, and what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourselves sorry, that you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. And by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling, I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. Amen. So here we have Paul writing back to the Corinthian church after a previous letter that he pretty much had a go at the Corinthians. They were allowing wrong influences to change and dilute the gospel message that Paul had taught them. And they were drawing back into old ways and into the culture of, of what was around them. His heart was also troubled. This may have been because he was thinking about this letter that he'd written, the pain he'd caused to the Corinthians, or it could have been because he was meant to be catching up with Titus, but he hadn't seen him yet. And you know, when Titus was sent to the Corinthian church, he was going to ask for a, uh, an offering to be made to the Jews in Jerusalem. So now, potentially, he's kind of got this big bag of cash. Has he been robbed? 
Has he been made a target? He didn't know. He was feeling the anxiety of it all. And Paul is also under external pressures. He's under attack spiritually. He's being persecuted. And he's experiencing the anxiety and the fear and the worry, which is leading him to lose sleep. However, now that Titus has finally caught up with Paul, he hears the news that the Corinthians have taken on board everything that he said, which is amazing, and that they're changing, and that they're excited to be reunited with Paul, and that they are, uh, there's no hard feelings at all. So Paul is sorry, but not sorry. He's sorry because it caused pain, but actually because that pain led to repentance, he's actually pleased. And the Corinthians resulted, or the result for them was fruit of eagerness and passion and zeal, repentance and forgiveness. And therefore Paul had no regrets about causing that kind of pain. So the definition of comfort is the easing or alleviation of a person's feeling of grief or distress. However, we seem to hold this mythical idea, don't we, that, that comfort is actually the absence of grief or distress. And both Paul and the Corinthians were comforted, but not because their things got taken away from them, but because they positioned themselves in what I'm going to call this morning a godly comfort zone. Where the words of verse 6, where it says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. This godly comfort zone was a place where they drew close to God, first and foremost, and allowed him to bring in peace and strength to endure. And then also it's a place where the Christian influences around us can come in and begin to minister to us. Now, turn around to someone next to you and say, Hi. Sorry, my mouth was really dry. I needed an excuse for you to turn away. Good. All right. So I hadn't been to the dentist in a long time, maybe over a decade. I know, I know. It was bad. I think the, I think the, the last time had been before I was in Australia, which is like a long time ago. Well, this is the point of the story, I'm telling you. Um, so I sat down in front of this, this dentist and uh, she examined my mouth thoroughly. She took loads of like x-rays and stuff and she sat me down. And, and the way that she defined how bad my teeth were was actually in financial terms. She didn't bother with anything else. She said, this is going to cost you thousands, boy. So a year later, after having done absolutely nothing about that whatsoever, I started to get in pain serious pain. Now, when I use the word discomfort, like I, I cannot even tell you what was going on in my mouth at the time. I was just like curled up in the corner. I'm just like, Lord, I've had a good life. Just take it away now. Let me be with you in heaven. But I went to a dentist. I went to a different dentist, a cheaper dentist. And as I'm lying there in this chair, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating to myself, do you know what, Mr. Dentist, just take the whole lot out. Just take them all out right now, give me false teeth, and I will be happy. We will just remove the problem-causing issue all at once. Genius, flawless idea. However, the dentist, in his wisdom, decided to work on a particular tooth that was causing an issue. And after a bit more of discomfort of injections, lots of drilling, 
Lots of hand-holding by the nurse's team. <laughs> a second visit, a third visit, and finally, that pain was alleviated, and I still had all my own teeth. So my pain was comforted, not by the absence of the root cause, huh? but by the presence and the wisdom of an expert who could see the bigger picture, he could see what was beneficial for my life, and he knew the correct course of action that was needed. And there was also then the physical comfort of the nurses who literally, I'm not even kidding you, held my hand throughout all this drilling. It was pretty painful. And does that mean that I now no longer suffer any problems to do with my teeth? No, I still need to go back regularly to the dentist. In fact, I believe I have funded all of his skiing holidays for the past three years. <laughs> but yet, I still need to see him regularly. I still need to go and be in his presence regularly. The depths of this illustration knows no bounds, and Scott will end up preaching on this again, I am sure. So our, our big idea this morning is just that, right? It is, um, there, life is hard seasons. There's illness, there's unemployment, there's hard, hardship, there's difficulty. You can probably click the next slide, actually, Linda. I think this is this one. So they'll all come up there. Um, difficulty, anxiety, stress, fear. There we go. At times, God takes those things straight away. And in those miraculous and sweet moments, we praise him and we say hallelujah. But that doesn't always happen. Even Paul and actually the whole of the Corinthian church were actually in this place of discomfort. And the commentators on this passage say that Paul, he just doggedly clung on to his belief in Jesus, i.e. his faith was unrelenting. And then he got to the point of saying, in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. So those troubles were still there, but he had brought God into the situation. The Corinthians had been rebuked by Paul in his previous letter, but rather than react with a defensiveness or a teenager-like strop, they responded by taking Paul's correction. And in that moment of self-awareness, they journeyed through godly sorrow into repentance, which again journeyed into great fruit. Now this piece of scripture that we've just read this morning is classed as Paul's classic uh, preach, if you like, or classic words on comfort. And he teaches us through this that God brings us strength to endure. And when he does that verse 6, that pivotal point, he's actually putting back to uh, 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, God is the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have been given. And I think that that then is the biblical meaning of the word comfort, a sense of community. So you can maybe click the next one. So there you go. There's our comfort zone where, where actually we don't lose those things but rather we allow God to work in them. A sense of community with God and with those around us. You can click again, Linda. Where God is there and brings you comfort through the Holy Spirit and then from those around you as well. So you can still kind of see those issues that were there, but you're now bringing God into it and allowing yourself, positioning yourself to be comforted. 
So I'd like to offer this idea that as we, as we go through our hard seasons, we need to position ourselves in God's presence and in a place of community where we allow God into those seasons. And we allow encouragers to come around, around us so that they can minister to us and bring us strength. And then equally as important is then we look outwards as well and we look around us. Just take a look to the left and the right of you just now. We need to get ourselves to a position where we can look around us and bring comfort to those that are there. As the late, great Bruce Lee, yes, I'm bringing him into a sermon. He once said, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. I think he realized, I mean, he went through some really tough times himself, but I think he realized that life was going to be difficult. So pray for that strength, and I believe that that strength is found in the presence of God. We talked about worship today. I think God's presence and that power is found to break down barriers in his presence. So a Christ-shaped life is not being comfortable, but embracing a godly comfort zone. So therefore, point one, let's position ourselves to take comfort, i.e. be in a position where we can be comforted. So as every entrepreneur or sports person or musician will tell you that discomfort or conflict or hardship it can actually cause a hunger and a desire in us to improve and to bring growth I mean like when I go to the gym obviously you're all looking at me going you go to the gym a lot we can tell but when I go to a gym it hurts right I've never used those muscles before Sometimes longer than I've kind of that dentist thing. It hurts. No pain, no gain. It hurts. But that brings growth. It's a catalyst for growth. These guys, these sports people, these musicians, these entrepreneurs, it's counting the cost through discipline to keep practicing, to keep moving, to keep improving. And that got them to where they are. A place of ease wouldn't have done that. So sometimes even though it's a hard place to be, having those things, not taken away, but having those things, we can use them to actually grow and mature and develop. So a friend of mine was finishing off his, his school, sixth year in school, and he was really looking forward to university, and he, he knew the course that he wanted to do. He had wanted to do this course since he was a teenager, he was desperate to get in and he was sitting holding in his hand a conditional offer from Robert Gordon's university to go and do this course. Super pleased, one year to go, let's do this. But he took his eye off the ball in the final year of school, didn't do quite as well as he thought he should have done or felt he could have done, didn't quite get that last, uh, whatever you call it, qualifications. And actually he ended up not getting into that course. So he's gutted, absolutely gutted. He had wanted to do this for so long. But the good news is he was offered a place on the HND course. So you've got the degree and then you've got a slightly shorter HND course. Now, thankfully, the kind of the course teaching was, was the same as the, the degree course. So he was kind of going, well, okay, I could start. But the problem was that the HND course wasn't going to be good enough for his professional career. So he was devastated and his pride was completely taken uh, a huge hit. But rather than take that hit and wallow in the self-pity of it, he went, right, I'm going to do this. 
and I'm going to work really hard. And rather than just getting like pass mark scrapes, if you like, he went from merit to merit to merit in his coursework and his examinations. And at the end of the first year, the faculty just went, it's a no-brainer, we need you to be on the degree course. And actually, uh, he had used that horrible and, and really pride-hitting uh, experience to actually just knuckle down and work really hard. He used it as a catalyst. It, these things can either bring a hunger in us to do better, or we can just walk away. And I think that there was two paths open to the Corinthians. They were suffering that kind of self-inflicted sorrow where they'd done something themselves. It was their own fault. And actually, the Bible commentators kind of say, well, actually, they were like, they were, it's like the, it could have been, sorry, it could have been like when we read about Judas. And Judas had obviously betrayed Jesus, handed him over. And then afterwards, as soon as he had done it, the guilt of that pressed down on him. And that sorrow hit him. And actually that sorrow, because there was no repentance in there, it led to death. But then the commentators also said that they could have gone down a different path, which thankfully is the one that they did do. And it was likened unto Peter, who when he denied Jesus, again, the weight of that pressed down on him and the sorrow that hit him. And yet in that moment, he repented. He said, sorry. And I think we all know the rest of that story and the amazing fruit that we saw from that. Verse 9 of our passage tells us that the Corinthians chose the path of godly sorrow and repented of their mistakes. That comfort zone is not a place where God simply forgives and forgets that that sorrow, but rather he forgives, forgets, and forges a change within us, ministering grace and strength. And in verse 10, we read about the fruit of what happened to the Corinthians. Now, Paul, on the other hand, he was experienced more of an external pressure. So it wasn't something that he'd really caused himself. But he was under physical attack and persecution. He experienced fear and anxiety, conflict, harassment, lack of sleep. He went through incredibly tough times and seemed to be at the point of, of breaking many times. And yet he clinged on to God and was able to trust and praise him. In verse 2, it says, I've done nothing wrong. And yet he was experiencing these hardships. In other writings, we hear him talk about casting his anxieties on Christ. We touched on that at the beginning, where we're like, wow, that's really hard stuff to do. Like, how, how can we possibly do that? And I think for Paul, it wasn't being, it wasn't like attaining some, some kind of like detached, like, oh, I just don't care anymore. You know, no, he cared passionately. But he was able to, at the end of the day, at the end of each day probably, he was able to take the day's anxieties and just with effort and just, God, I need you to take it. Paul positioned himself in God's presence, but it did come with discipline and effort. My point being in both these examples, we see hard seasons, whether they're caused by the things that we've done ourselves or whether the things that are done to us in effect. But we position ourselves in God's presence. So what does it look like for us to position ourselves to receive comfort? Well, we've already talked about being in communion with God, being in his presence, allowing other Christians to be around us. So for me, being, being in, this, in this place of comfort means to not give up on church. 
not giving up on God, never giving up on church, never giving up worshiping with other people, never giving up on connect groups. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You see, the biblical principle of this comfort zone is to do it together. If someone has just had a baby, brought new life into this world, we celebrate with them, we bring them food and we pray for sleep. But when someone loses a loved one, we also gather around and we probably bring them food and we pray for them and we weep with them and then we pray with them some more and then we weep with them some more. We do it together. And guys, when, when you can't worship anymore, don't give up in church because the people around you here, they will sing over you. And when you can't pray, then the people around you here will lift your hands for you and pray with you. Hebrews 10 says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He could see it. The writer of Hebrews could see it. He could see it happening. Guys, don't give up on church. Don't give up on God. On a really practical level, when you are in a place of comfort, it actually helps to reduce anxiety. It can lower blood pressure. It re-energizes the body and can actually reduce pain perception. It increases the body's natural ability to heal. It quietens our minds as our souls respond to comfort. And therefore, it enhances our ability to problem solve. And it gives us back the strength to enjoy and endure both the good times and the bad times. Now, that is the worldly perception of a comfort, comfortable place. Imagine, guys, what it's like when God is front and center of that, when we allow him to be there, when we position ourselves to be comforted. So number one, position ourselves to take comfort. And number two, position ourselves to bring comfort. From 2 Corinthians chapter one, we've read it already. It says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Do you know, it doesn't take too long to look around and see someone who's in need around us. Look around you. There are stories of financial hardship, addictions, illness, mourning the loss of a loved one, unemployment, relationship breakdown, mental health issues, the list goes on. But God's promise to us is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we are part of God's solution. So where in our passage is the example of being a comforter this morning? Well, there's Titus. Paul had sent him off to visit Corinth and he was asking him to go back, you know, here's, you know, here's another letter, but, you know, go back. I want you to, to collect an offering for the Jews in Jerusalem. But do you know what, Titus? You know, these guys are awesome. These guys are brilliant. They're like, they're like the best church plant. They're like, they're like north. Like, these guys are just so on it. They're brilliant. Really well led. Just a community of love. These guys are amazing. You're going to love it, Titus. So you can imagine then, Titus rocks up to the Corinthian church one Sunday morning. And he's like, Ah, I've heard so much about you. You guys are awesome, aren't you? Corinthians are like, Yeah, it's great to see you, Titus. But do you know, 
we're kind of going through a bit of a thing right now. Ah, the last poll letter, eh? Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's happening then? Well, if we're honest with you, Titus, you know, Paul was right. We were wrong. You know, we should never have walked away from Jesus. We should never have walked away from the truth. We should never have walked away from Paul's teaching. Oh, cool. Are you able to keep that accent up? Uh, not sure, Titus. I'll give it a go, though. What part of Greece are you from anyway? Same as you, mate. Find myself in my notes now. I know you couldn't do it. Anyway. Well, said the Corinthians. Well, we're kind of just going to take a bit of time this morning. You know, it's not a, not a usual church service. What we're going to do is we're just going to take a bit of time. We're going to pray. We're just going to repent. We're just going to ask God to come in and just, just turn up and just see what he does. Ah, amen. Sounds great. Amen. That's awesome. You guys are on it. Wait till Paul hears about what you're doing. This is great. Hey, can I pray for you? Oh, could you, mate? That'd be great. Oh, we just need someone to lead us and walk us through this stuff. That'd be great. Ah, no worries, bro. Yeah. Sweet. I know that that's not strictly in the Bible passage. But you can imagine this. <laughs> it's not, you can imagine that the Corinthians just in, invited Titus as this you know, trusted companion of Paul to come in and help them and to comfort him, them, sorry. Bringing words of encouragement and speaking life over them. You know, exhorting them, like encouraging them to journey this stuff well. Or do you know what? Maybe Titus just took his cloak off, got down on his knees with him, and just prayed alongside them. You know, back when I was still working for the church, I started to get really low, and I felt exhausted all the time. And I got disconnected from people, and I got disconnected from my own feelings, my own emotions, and generally just, I, w I just wasn't functioning as well as I should have done, or I felt I should have done. So I went to my doctor, and I got some medication, and I took some time off of work. But what I did do as well, is I got my key leaders around me, which was effectively, because we were just really launching West at the time, so it was like our key leaders were like our connect group, and I got them around me, and Julie and I invited them into our home, and we just talked to them a little bit about what I was going through. And I said, do you know what, guys? I'm going to take some, some time off of work. I'm going to step away from serving in the church for a few weeks. And do you know what? They simply wept with us. They didn't try to fix me. You know, they asked questions, but it's hard to say something amazingly helpful in a time like that. So they didn't. They just got down on their knees beside me and wept with me, and prayed over me. So what does it look like to bring comfort for other people? Well, the book of Job, you know, in that story, Job is going through loads of stuff, way more than I, I went through or I'm going through. 
death, poverty, relationship breakdown hit his household. And yet he clung to God. That was the tick. But Job's friends, you know, they tried to help him. They tried to kind of editorialize his situation and fix him and counsel him. And this is Job's response. You are miserable comforters, all of you. You know, Job just wanted his friends to be there. The trouble don't usually expect us to fix their issues. But they do appreciate your time, your concern, and your prayers. What matters to people is that you're simply there for one another. So what it looks like for us, church, to be the comfort bringers is just to be there for people. You know, don't leave it to the next person. Don't leave it to Scott and Sarah. Don't leave it, leave it to the leadership team. We are the church. This is our job. The church brings comfort and the church invites the Holy Spirit in and says, let's let God. Just let God. And if you really need something that's in it for you, if you really need it to be, you know, well, here's something for you in return. Then verse 13 says that Paul was delighted to see how tight, how happy Titus was. Titus was blessed for being a blessing. He was encouraged at being an encourager. So church, the way that we can be comforters are just to look around us and just get alongside people. We don't need to say anything. We don't need to have the right words. We don't need to fix problems. We just need to be in that comfort zone, allow God into our situations and bring God into their situations. So as we land here, life is not always comfortable. I know that. You know that. There's actually scriptures that promise trouble. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. But the Bible also promises comfort, strength to endure. We've looked at an example of a Christian who can watch and learn from uh, or looked at examples of Christians from whom we can watch and learn. We found the Corinthian church, how they mucked up and they repented and they lent on the truth and we saw how that led to forgiveness and fruit. We found Paul who was under great external pressures. He was exhausted and persecuted and yet he positioned himself well in a place to receive comfort. And as I draw this to the close, I just want to talk about Jesus who is surely the example of who we can learn from. You see, Jesus wasn't this perfect Christian with whom everything he touched went his way. No. He was the perfect Christian because he endured these things and he responded in the perfect way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before they took him to the cross, Jesus began to be sorrowful and be troubled. And he took Peter, James, and John his connect group and he shared with them these are Jesus's words my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me he brought them in he just wanted to be with them and they kept falling asleep so they are not the perfect example of being church for him but Jesus was the perfect example of getting on his knees in prayer but bringing his friends with him God, take this cup from me, he said. 
He prayed that that sorrow would be taken away from him, lifted. And we know, don't we, that that wasn't the case. But not my will, but yours, he said. And then in that place, God sent an angel to comfort him. Instead of taking the situation away, comfort was provided. Luke 22, verse 43. And Jesus, it says Jesus was strengthened. And his response was to pray even harder. And when he prayed even harder, do you know what he did? Is he looked around. And he looked at us. He looked at the thief on the cross beside him. And he said, I can endure this hardship now to bring these guys hope. To bring these guys comfort. He's the perfect example. A Christ-shaped life is not being comfortable, but embracing a godly comfort zone where God can bring you comfort and where you allow those around you to journey with you. The hard season may not be taken away. Do you know what? I pray that it is, but it may not be taken away, but you will be comforted. Guys, let's position ourselves well. So why don't we stand?